0: With Back to God Ministries, how's everyone doing today? I pray that all is well in your lives, that you are walking by faith and not by sight. You, beloved, are to never give up on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, folks, let me just say this. Those of us who have sincerely repented and turned from sin and are born again, you are not wretched. Amen. So let's set the tone right out the gate. First Thessalonians 4, beginning at verse 1. Finally, believers, we ask and admonish you in the Lord Jesus that you follow the instruction that you received from us about how you ought to walk and please God just as you are actually doing. And that you excel even more and more pursuing a life of purpose and living in a way that expresses gratitude to God For your salvation. Amen. For you know what commandments and precepts we gave you. By the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. That you be sanctified. Separated and set apart from sin. That you abstain and back away from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Being available for God's purpose and separated from things profane. Amen. Verse 5 not to be used in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God and are ignorant of His will, and that in this matter of sexual misconduct, no man shall transgress and defraud his brother because the Lord is the avenger and all these things, just as we have told you before." and solemnly warned you. For God, verse 7, has not called us to impurity, but to holiness, to be dedicated and set apart by behavior that pleases Him, whether in public or, or in private. So whoever rejects, And disregards this is not merely rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you to dwell in you and empower you to overcome temptation. Amen. So, beloved, today we we are talking about the old wretched man that I am syndrome. Because in the previous podcast, we see this a lot in the body of Christ. That because of God's grace, because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, well, we are covered forever, no matter how we live. So the implication... Is that we can live however we want. And because God is so gracious and Jesus' blood will always remain red and cover us. We are good to go. And that God just what? Winks at our transgressions? And what? Just turns a blind eye? We are deceived we are deceived to even think that we can pull on Paul over there in Romans that because he, he cried out, Oh, wretched man that I am. And so some teach that because of Paul's lamentation, that it is just like it was for Paul. It is impossible to live in this world and not sin. Irregardless of the fact that we are born again, it is impossible to, to go forward and sin not. See, that's why I want it by God's Spirit to bring this teaching again. Beloved, where is your faith? Where is it? Because apparently you have more faith in the flesh to flare up and get you to go against God's will rather than putting our faith and trust in Jesus that it is obviously doable to sin not when he has, when he has sealed us as a mark. The Holy Spirit that that empowers us to overcome temptation. Because, see now, the question becomes, are you truly born again? If what you are saying, how it is impossible to stop sinning, do you not have the same Holy Spirit? Who empowers us to overcome temptation? Just by your own confession, you are still a sinner. We all sin. We all fall fall short of the glory of God's standards. Yes, but guess what? Faith. 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 Tells us that even though we are in these fleshly bodies that have the propensity and the longing to commit sin because we are born again and have Holy Spirit, well, we have been empowered to resist the devil and he will flee from you. Are you resisting? Because it don't sound like it. And please, let me not come off as self-righteous. Absolutely not. Listen, we walk by faith. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And not by sight. Hello, this flesh don't rule. No, it has been crucified. And so, since a lot in the body love to come over to the book of Romans and point to Paul. See, see right here, if God's apostle, Jesus, man, if he had a problem with wanting to do good, but he don't. What he don't want to do, he seems to do that even the more. Oh, wretched man that I am. So, I want to talk about that again. Because the Holy Spirit told me that people are using that as a crutch. Oh, yeah. Yep. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God told me that the doctrine a.k.a. scapegoat of old wretched man that I am, that many false leaders up in these apostate churches and among backsliding Christians love this battle cry so much that it has become a doctrine to them. This is their mantra when they consistently entertain that flesh man that old sinful nature that should have been crucified with Christ, blaming their wicked, disobedient, reckless, rebellious behavior on the old wretched man that I am syndrome. Yep. They use what Paul said as a vehicle, a scapegoat, a cover-up for their rebellious lifestyle against God as if they have no part in it. Listen, if we have sincerely and truly repented of our sins, we do not make provision for the flesh to be tantalized. We don't provoke. We don't tease. We don't flirt with. We don't excite. We don't gratify. We don't satisfy. We don't tempt nor bait the flesh man to resurrect because we keep playing with hell's fire. And that is exactly where we are going to. That's where we headed. That is exactly where we are headed to. And with that being said, let us pray. Father. Father. In the name of Christ Jesus, we come to you today, we give you reverence, we give you honor, and we give you glory. Hallowed be thy holy, righteous name. Father, you look around for people who will resist the enemy. for You, you look for warriors that will take a stand for Jesus Christ. Who will trust him regardless, irregardless of the situation? Our enemy is not a Philistine, but the devil. Father, you you show us in James 4, 7 what to do when temptation comes our way. We are to submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you, Amen. First Peter five, eight through nine. Be sober, be vigilant, vigilant, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, lion, seeking whom he may devour. We are told to resist him steadfast in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world amen in other words father what we go through what we are tempted by is common to man again ephesians 6 10 to 18 you tell us what To do. Nowhere in your word. Is it even implied. That sin. Will always be a master over us. We don't have any choice. But to give into it. For God understands. He knows our hearts. He sees we are trying. Well father. We will have a claim. If not for these scriptures. You give us clear, precise instructions in what to do so we don't fall back into sin. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on. The whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able. To stand against. The wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against principalities. Against powers. Against the rulers of the darkness of this age. Against spiritual hosts of wickedness. In the heavenly places, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Taking the shield of faith with which you will be able. Okay? Father, faith is key. We will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Amen. So, Father, as always, we are not with an excuse. If we continue to live a lifestyle of sin, we are not truly born again if we habitually sin where as our lifestyles our whole life is characterized by sin first john 3 tells us we are not born again we are not children of god first john 5 tells us that the born again believer do not make it a practice of sin of sinning we cannot go on sinning first john 3 tells us that because of your righteous character living on the inside of us we who have been reborn of the spirit of god cannot make it a practice no longer Do we make it a practice to go on willfully, knowingly, deliberately, habitually, go on sinning? Amen. So, Father, we ask for wisdom today. Open up our minds so that we can be clear to hear from Holy Spirit what is true and what is false. We are in sanctification, Father. Now that we have been justified, thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. We are now being trained how to be holy, being consecrated unto you, separated from this world, so we can do your will and your purpose for our lives. As we go about preaching this good, great gospel in Jesus' name, calling men to repentance. Because, Father, lest we forget, you have set a day in which you will judge the inhabited world in righteousness by a man, Christ Jesus. He has been appointed and destined for this task. You tell us over there in Acts 17, 30 to 31, how the credible proof who the judge will be on judgment day is you rose Jesus from the dead. So, Father, as we go about our daily lives, may all of our conduct be pleasing unto you. May we put away all sin. May we all be open to teaching and correction. May we, among the brethren, sharpen our irons. Looking forward to the day of Christ's return. So that when he does return, or we go by the way of the grave, we will be found not wanting. Blameless above reproach so that he can present us faultless to you glory be to your holy name father in jesus mighty name i pray amen amen glory be to god all right beloved listen the whole crux of it all is that those who want what they want, and still claim the name of Jesus, they are stumbling blocks in the body of Christ. Anybody who, anybody who tell the brethren that we can't be living like this, we must live lives that produces fruit of repentance And do you not know, beloved, that there are many who claim the name will try to shut the one down who is telling the brethren once saved, always saved is a false doctrine straight from the pit of hell. And then people want to say, yeah, but... The blood of Jesus covers us all, and it does. The problem is that people take that as a license to sin. They say we we are nothing but angry people. All we do is shout and scream and fuss all day. Thank you. You want to know why? Because I don't know if you know this, Miss Missy. Okay? People are dying every single day, every second in their sins, going straight to a burning hell as they await final judgment. And you, in your sin and in your complacency and lukewarmness, how dare you tell anybody? Well, this is not the platform for that. Well, then point me to the platform because this is a public platform and we will cry aloud and spare nothing. Daughter of Satan. It's it's ridiculous. I'm telling you, as long as I keep on living by the grace of God, I see many false brethren claiming Jesus name who don't want you to, to keep on pressing, bu- quote unquote, pressing buttons, just yelling and fussing at folks. We should all just be calm. Why are you so angry? We all supposed to walk in love and rainbows and, 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 and butterflies again, precious. Do you not know that people are dying in their sins? Listen, souls need to be snatched from hell's fire. Okay? Not everybody come to Christ on the nicey-nicey. You have to get real ugly with the truth of the matter is what Jesus said. Unless you repent. You too. Miss Missy, shall all likewise perish. Amen. And so this is why we are going to be looking at Romans chapter 7. Oh, yes and yes. Listen, I came across this commentary from the Journal of Bible Accuracy. And I was reading one Of their articles. And then I went to another article. And then another and another. But. I came across this article. About wretched man. That I am. So I wanted to share. This brief commentary. On Romans chapter 7. So. We can be edified. So the article. Went on to say this this individual was saying how i have heard many times people using the words of paul in romans 7:24 saying wretched man that i am who will deliver me from this body of death amen they use they use them in a way that implies that these words are applying to us, the born-again Christian. They use them like we, Christians, are in a kind of slavery to sin. It is the same context, just a few verses earlier, that Paul says, I'm carnal, sold under sin. He said that in Romans 7.14. Amen. And so, beloved, can't you see why and how those who are in willful sin love to cry aloud with this battle cry? Oh, wretched man that I am. So we are going to find out why did Paul even say it and what was the context of it all so we can stop saying that. Amen. Listen, we have victory in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So getting back to the article, the person went on to say, he said, in this, oh, right. He was saying they use his words like we Christians are in a kind of slavery to sin it is in the same context, just a few verses earlier, that Paul says, I'm carnal, sold under sin. Romans 7 14. They say then, Oh, wretched men we are. We are sinners, sold under sin. Who will deliver us from this? Mm-hmm. He said, In this article, I submit that though people who love the Lord and want to follow him, and, and only to such people this article refers to can fall into many mistakes. They are not sold under sin, nor are they wretched men waiting for a deliverer. Amen. The deliverer, has come, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. He has opened the door of our prison and made us free. We are not wretched men anymore. Amen. Beloved, I totally agree. And I'm so glad I came across this article because I know I'm not going crazy. Again, where is your faith to endure until the end? Because Jesus said, there's going to come a time of great tribulation, great evil. If we can't stand in faith now, when here in America, there is no real, like real persecution of the saints is is some but no one is being led to the guillotines yet no one is forcing us to take the mark of the beast yet what's going to happen then if we can't now handle sin temptation the holy spirit is indwelling us And you mean to tell me, as you all like to say, you mean to tell me you don't sin? Well, I got one for you. You mean to tell me Holy Spirit don't dwell in you who empowers you to overcome temptation? Thank you, Holy Spirit. You know what? I'm going to use that the next time because there will be a next time. So back to the article. We are not wretched men anymore. We were, okay, we were once wretched men when we were dead in the trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1. But now we are not dead anymore. God made us alive together in Christ as a gift. Only on the base of our faith. Amen. Ephesians 2, 5. And this is what I'm talking about, beloved. The Holy Spirit just impressed upon me to ask you, where is your faith? You say you believe in Jesus. Is that just a mental ascent? Is that what's coming out of your mouth, but your heart's? Are far from him. That you can't even follow simple instructions. From the one you say. Saved your wretched soul. You can't even follow when he says. Going forward go. Comma and sin no more. And you tell him. By the way you live. That's impossible. Can't do it Jesus. Impossible. Uh huh. I'm telling y'all, we ain't going to make it. Now, let us get back to this article because it makes a great point. Listen, now we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that we should show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. That's first Peter two nine. This is the truth of God's word. Amen. And then the writer said, but then we, but then we are right to ask. What is this pitiful situation that Paul is describing in Romans seven? Amen. Ain't nothing wrong with wanting to find out. Cause hold on because he told us in Romans six that sin is no longer our master, how we've been set free from the power and control and dominion over sin. But then in chapter seven, He's talking about, well, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of sin. So, one may think, wait a minute, what is going on? I thought we was free. And some are like, well, see, I told you, if Paul says, oh, wretched man, then it is impossible. Hmm. Let's get to the bottom of it. So, We have a right to ask, what is this pitiful, because it's pitiful, the way Paul was going on, hmm, yeah, pitiful situation that he is describing and lamenting in Romans 7. To whom is he referring to? Why is he using this passage like it would apply for himself. And why is he speaking in present tense? Like it is something that is happening now. Well, we do not need to go far to find the answer. The writer is saying all that we need to do is read the context of the above phrases, the whole of Romans 7, having a look at Romans 7 shows that its main topic is the law and how it was impossible for somebody that had only the sinful nature of Adam to fulfill this law. To say this, Paul is using, okay, listen... What's happening is that Paul is using present tense as if all of this lamenting that he's doing is happening to him now. But it is only a reflection because think about it. When Paul wrote Romans, the book of Romans and two thirds of the New Testament, he was born again. He was not a Jewish man. Under the law without Holy Spirit. Paul is writing this as a changed man. He is not in willful sin writing us two-thirds of the New Testament. Just sometimes, beloved, it just takes some common sense. And some basic study because we all too, listen, my hand is raised in times past. I was like, well, yeah, I I can't understand what Paul is saying because I was living in sin and I thought Paul understood where we, where we are. No context, context, context. Romans chapter seven is about the law. Not to mention as a side note, he used marriage to illustrate how the law no longer has mastery over us. Now that Christ Jesus has delivered us from the law and now we are under grace. And so Paul was using different scenarios, but the main topic Is the law. So. Coming back over here. To the article. Having a look at Romans 7. Shows that its main topic. Is the law. And how it was impossible. For somebody. That had only. The sinful nature. Because think about it beloved. Christ hadn't gone to the cross yet having only the sinful nature of Adam to fulfill the law, to say this, Paul is using the first singular and present tense figuratively, not literally. In other words, though it appears that he says what he says for himself personally, he only does this figuratively, figuratively, putting himself into the position of those to whom these things were directly applicable. How do we know this? Let's read, for example, verses 7 through 9 of Romans 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. No, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust except the law except the law has said you shall not covet, but sin taken occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. And beloved, if we don't know what concupiscence means, it means lust, sexual desire. It means passion. It means that old sex drive, sexuality, carnality, lasciviousness. That's what all manners of concupiscence means. So, for without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived. And I died. Amen. So the article goes on to say that the age without the law was before the giving of the law. Hundreds of years before the birth of Paul. So when Paul says, I was alive without the law once, he is using the first singular person, I, only figuratively. He was not alive at that time, but he figuratively put himself into the position of the people who were alive saying, I was alive. Same also for the next part of that passage that says, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Amen. The commandment came with Moses and Paul was not alive then either. It is obvious then that he is using himself first singular figuratively, not literally. The same pattern continues throughout Romans 7. Paul uses himself and many times present tense and many times present tense to describe what was a past situation. The The reason he does this is to make the situation more vivid. And the contrast with the present situation, which is described in Romans 8, even more clearer. His main topic in Romans 7 is the without Christ situation amen so beloved when paul was going on about oh this wretched man that he was it seemed as if he was talking about him paul today in this present situation as he as he was penning the words he was saying that a person Who is not born again. Who is without Christ. For them and right Holy Spirit. He was putting himself in that person's shoes. That trying to keep the law without Christ Jesus is impossible. Why? They want to do good but they can't. The evil that they do. No, the evil they don't want to do, that they seem to do all the more. Why is this person going back and forth like this? It is because they are not born again. That old dead spirit in them has not been regenerated. They have not been born again. They are without the precious shed blood of Jesus Christ. So that's why no person was able to keep the law, only Christ Jesus. So before Jesus came on the scene, from the time the law was given up until he went to the cross and resurrected, no one, no matter how good they tried and they tried and they tried, was able to keep the law in its entirety. They couldn't do it. So, Paul, as he's writing about the old wretched man that he is, he himself is putting himself in the shoes of a person who was living under the law, trying to keep it, but can't keep it, impossible to keep it. He wasn't right in this in a current situation that he found himself in trying to be obedient, but can't wanting to do what is right, but he don't No, we got it twisted. That's not what Paul was talking about. So let's go back to the article. Okay. So his main topic is, in Romans 7, is the without Christ situation. Listen, before Christ, the law was present. And though this law was good and holy and just, it was impossible to be kept by people who, who had only their sinful, carnal nature. As he characteristically said, in Romans 7, 12, and then in verse 14, wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Amen. Verse 14. The law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Amen. So was Paul back coming back to this article, was Paul carnal? When he was writing these things, did he have only the old Adamic sinful nature? Was he sold under sin? The answer is emphatically no. Paul, as any born again believer, had Christ living in him. Christ had made him free. He was now, just like us. He was now born again and saved. To what, therefore, is he referring to when he describes himself as sold under sin? He refers to the age of the law. Again, the main subject of Romans 7. Romans 7's main subject, beloved, is not about, see, even Paul was in sin. Now, that's not the subject. It's the law. So, in the the age of the law, there was no new birth. There was no new nature under the law. All these things are, all these are things available to us after the sacrifice of Jesus. But before that, in the age of the law, they were not available. What, a beloved, wasn't available? Grace, the new birth, it was not available before Christ. No. So anybody who was living under the law before Jesus came to this earth, they were wretched. Yes, they were not born again trying to keep that which is holy. And they failed, and they failed, and they failed. Some good works they did, but for the most part, not so much. They couldn't keep it. Why? Because of that sinful, dead, Adamic nature on the inside of them. That's why they struggled. The flesh is weak. It's weak. So getting back to the article. All all these, all these are things available to us after the sacrifice of Jesus, but before that, in the age of the law, they were not available. Thus, the only The only thing that people had at this time was the old sinful nature. Though the law was good and holy and just, it was a spiritual law while they were carnal, sold under sin. When Paul therefore says, but I am carnal, sold under sin, he is using himself in this present tense figuratively putting himself into the place of those who lived in the age of the law exactly as he did in verse 7 with those who lived without the law. When he said I was alive without the law when Paul was writing Romans 7 he was a new creature as any of us who had who has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Also, it says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Amen. And Paul uses the same way of speaking First singular, present tense, throughout the remaining of Romans 7. Let's read Romans 7, 15 to 24. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law, and that is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. This is a timeless truth. There is nothing good in the old man in the flesh. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that, okay, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is, no, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Amen. What Paul is describing is a miserable situation, beloved what paul is describing is a miserable situation if you do not take into if you do not take into account what is the context of the passage and if you ignore and discount the new birth realities you will you will get mis- you will be miserable too you too will cry, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. But Paul says all that he says to describe the situation before Christ. Amen. Beloved, this writer is trying to make it clear to us that the situation we find Paul Writing over here in Romans 7 24 is not the current situation that Paul finds himself. No, he, right, Holy Spirit, he for our benefit is putting himself in the shoes in the place of the person who was living under the law without being born again. So Paul was relating because he don't forget before Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Oh, he was bent on keeping the law. He, as he said, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Okay. Paul was a very scholarly man. He knew the law. Paul sat up under one of the most, if not the most, but one of the most profound teachers of the law, Gamma And in today's education hierarchy, Paul will be likened to a Ph.D., We see Paul over there in the the book of Acts, holding the coats of those who were stoning Stephen. Paul was hell-bent on killing, murdering those who were in the way, who were Jesus' followers. That's where he was heading when Jesus stopped him in his tracks on the road to Damascus. Yeah, he was looking to find Christians and drag them back to Jerusalem, no doubt, to put them in jail and then have them executed. He took much zeal in doing that. So when we find Paul writing what he wrote, most likely he was probably also relating because I'm quite sure as, as, Zealous, if I can get it out, as zealous as he was, and as much as he because if he's a Pharisee, so he must have been um a leader and a teacher of the law, but he knew himself he he wasn't following it completely either. So to keep it in context, he he was putting us in a time frame of how miserable the situation was trying to keep something that was spiritual when you are still carnal and not born again. That's why he tells us, right, that those who are not born again, who does not have God's spirit, all of this godly doctrine, the gospel, it is foolishness to them. Because they are not born again. These things must be spiritually discerned. Without the Holy Spirit, it goes right over the head. Amen. And so, again, in closing, Paul was not writing, Oh, wretched man that I am, because he was in willful, deliberate, blatant sin being appointed as an apostle, setting up churches. Because, again, just common sense. This is the same Paul that those who want to live a life characterized by sin, claiming, oh, wretched man that I am. This is the same Paul who tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, everything is permissible for me, but not all things are beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything and brought under its power, allowing it to control me. Amen. Listen, unless Paul is bipolar, crying out how he want to do good, but he don't because he don't know how to stop sinning and for him to come over here with such conviction About how he ain't going to allow anything to control him. So unless he is bipolar, we cannot fully expect that he was in willful, blatant sin, crying out, oh, wretched man that I am. It don't add up and it won't because he was not in willful sin. I know those who are stumbling blocks want someone to agree with them and they love to pull Paul into the madness. Because again, this is the same Paul who tells us in 1 Corinthians 9, 25 to 27, Now every athlete who goes into training and competes in the games is disciplined. And exercises self-control in all things. Amen. Beloved, for Paul to give this analogy, okay, he is not coming from the mindset of, oh, wretched man, I don't know what to do. I'm just so confused. I want to do good, but I don't. Oh, I, I really, really, really want to do good, but I can't seem to do it. But all the sin... That keeps beckoning me. Oh, I seem to do that. Listen, Paul was not confused. He stood by his convictions. You want to know why? Because he said, I beat my body. Amen. So look, verse 25, right? 1 Corinthians 9 Now every athlete who goes into training and competes in the games is disciplined. Okay? He's 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 looking at us like you got to be more disciplined with that flesh. Because this athlete who goes into training, oh, he knows about being disciplined. And exercises self-control in all things. They do it to win a crown that withers. But we do it, okay, to receive an imperishable crown that cannot wither. Therefore, I do not run without a definite goal. I do not flail around like one beating the air, just shadow boxing. Amen. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Again, Paul is telling us he is not all over the place, just just flailing around as if he don't understand the consequences that if you go back to the vomit, none of us will inherit God's kingdom. He's on purpose, being self-disciplined. So... He said in verse 7, but, okay, he's not just shadow boxing. He says, but like a boxer, I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave. So that after I have preached the gospel to others, I myself will... will not somehow be disqualified as unfit for service. Amen. Listen, Paul was like, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul is like, no, ma'am, no, sir. Uh -uh. Uh-uh, uh-uh. You ain't going to find me being undisciplined. No, I put this body under subjection. I make it obey me. Have we even tried to do that before we get to screaming about, oh, it's so impossible to stop sinning? Well, are you disciplined? Are you beating that flesh into submission, making it obey the word of God? Huh? Because unless you are doing that, then you should. Keep your mouth closed and stop being a stumbling block wanting people to join in on the madness that we can live however we want to and still get to go to heaven. And these are they that will try to shut the mouths of the ones who are like, you're crazy. God is clear and he ain't playing with that lake of fire. We keep dibbling and dabbling in sin. None of us are going to make it. Jesus said, unless you repent, you too shall all likewise perish. And, and these are they that go, no, grace, 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 grace. Yes, thank God for his grace. Because guess what, Mr. Crying Aloud about grace, grace, grace. Grace teaches us to reject all ungodliness and immoral, carnal desires. It teaches us to put away the lust. If you want to quote grace, 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 listen, and these are they that will throw. Now, I'm just, this is just hyperbole. A million scriptures your way all about grace, all all about belief. But in, in all of that dissertation, James 2 is nowhere to be found. Let's read it as we close out. Before we get there, let me just also point out because we just got to kill it today. This same Paul that those want to claim old wretched man syndrome, let us not forget, this is the same Paul who tells us in Galatians 6 7 to 8 do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that He will also reap for he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. Amen. Again, this is the same Paul who gives us the 17 works of the flesh. This is the same Paul who gives us 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 12. He tells us about those sins that will keep us out of heaven. And he he starts off always with, do not be deceived. Meaning, if we continue to do these things, we can still get it. He does not want us to live in deception about sin. The writers of Hebrews 10, 24 to 31 tells us the reason why we should not forsake assembling with each other In fellowship, and again, it don't necessarily have to be in somebody's apostate church. But we come together to encourage one another to do what is good. Why? Because the day of the Lord is approaching. And he was telling, uh, the writer was saying, because if we deliberately keep on sinning, There's consequence for that. Listen, our expectation is not heaven when we live a life like that. No. The writer says our expectation is, and he didn't say it was heaven. It is fiery judgment. That's what we can expect, beloved, when we continue to live lives any kind of way, pulling the grace of God out as a license to sin. And Paul was like, we, the very ones who have died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Because see, some of y'all don't realize you have died to sin if you ever were born again. What's the problem? Well, I could tell you what the problem is. No faith And no fear of the Lord. Uh Uh-uh. No, because, beloved, my hand is raised. Once God deals with you enough, you will get on board with the program. He ain't playing with that lake of fire. There is no fear of the Lord. You want to know why? The wrath of God has been so watered down that God is nothing but just granddaddy. Just handing out gifts of uh, prophecies, uh casting out demons, you know, um healing the sick, okay, okay, well, you all have not met the true and the living God because we must preach and teach the full counsel of the Lord. so listen, come come over here to James chapter two because those who say. All we got to do to inherit God's kingdom is to believe in Jesus. Because anything else is a work unto salvation. What you going to do with the fact that Jesus says that we must produce good fruit. And that these good fruits of righteousness glorifies the Father. So you mean to tell me that you are not producing any fruit? Because a tree that bears bad fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire to be burned. Y'all better come up out of these apostate churches teaching as doctrine traditions and commandments of men just making the word of god of no effect so for all of you all who just believe only in just believe on jesus that that's that's all you gotta do is believe okay well james says what is okay james 2 14 starting in verse 14. And then I'm going to let y'all go. Because he's talking about faith and works. Okay. Not works of the law. Listen. What is the benefit, my fellow believers, if someone claims to have faith but has no good works as evidence? James asked you a question, precious. He said, what benefit is your faith if there are no works to prove evidence of said faith? Can that kind of faith save him? No. A mere, listen, a mere claim of faith is not sufficient. I told you. I told you. Listen, we are not making this stuff up. He said, by the spirit of the living God. Okay? No. A mere claim of faith is not sufficient. He said, genuine faith produces good works. If you say you have faith, then you should have some good works to back up your faith. Yes. That's how that works. I know all you want to do is make a confession for Jesus, but you don't want to turn from sin. I get it, but you better. You better. Listen, verse 15. If a brother or sister is without adequate clothing and lacks enough food for each day, and one of you says to them, go in peace with my blessing, keep warm and feed yourselves, but he does not give them the necessities for the body. What good does that do? Amen. Listen, James is saying, what good is it that if someone comes to you, they are hungry and they need to be kept warm. They come into you without adequate clothing and lacks enough food and all you say to them is, I send you on, on your way with my blessing. Well, what good is that? Because the person is still naked and the person is still hungry. What good is your blessing? Huh? What good is it? So he said, so too. Faith. Faith if it does not have works to back it up, is is by itself dead, inoperable, and ineffective. Your faith, without evidence of righteous works, is dead. It's dead. I know you don't want to hear that, but nonetheless... He says in verse 18, but someone may say, you claim to have faith and I have good works. Show me your alleged faith without the works if you can. And I will show you my faith by my works. That is by what I do. You believe that God is one. You do well to believe that the demons also believe that. And shudder and bristle in awe-filled terror. They have seen his wrath. Amen. Listen, uh, James is like, even the devil believes in Jesus. So, by you saying, I believe in Jesus. Okay, well, the devil and the demons believe in him too. Because they've seen his wrath. So, verse 20. But are are you willing to recognize, you foolish, spiritual, shallow person, that faith without good works is useless? Amen. Was our father Abraham not shown to be justified by works of obedience, which expressed his faith? Amen. So, right. Remember how the Lord told Abraham to go up to the mountain and to kill his son, right? As a sacrifice. Abraham's, Abraham acted out on his faith because the Lord told him that he will have an heir and that many will come from his loins. So, Abraham's faith, was demonstrated when he pulled out the dagger because either he was going to believe that God was going to stop this or he was going to kill his only son of promise and that the Lord was going to resurrect Isaac. Either way, he will, like the Lord had promised, because he told him to look up at the stars, look down at the sand, because that's how many descendants will come from him. Or Even though he was an old man, his wife was very old, but that they were going to have children who will go on to have many, as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. So Abraham backed up his faith with a work, pulling that dagger out because he, he was getting ready to kill Isaac. So verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and this faith was credited to him by God as righteousness and as conformity to his will, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man, believer, is justified by works and not by faith alone. James is like a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. That is by acts of obedience. A born again believer reveals his faith. Don't you just love it that the word of God shuts down the madness. He said that. A born-again believer by acts, works, deeds of obedience, a.k.a. righteousness, well, it reveals his faith. So if there are no acts, works, deeds of righteousness in your life, how can you say you have faith? Where is the evidence that you are even born again? Well, I ain't got to prove nothing to you. You're right. God is asking you, where is your, where are your good works? I hear you talking, but I don't see nothing. Because Jesus said, they honor me with their mouths, them lips. But that heart is far from him. So... James is saying that by acts of obedience, a born again believer reveals his faith in the same way was Rahab, the prostitute, not justified by works too, when she received the Hebrew spies as guests and protected them and sent them away to escape by a different route. For just as the human body, listen, because verse 26, if, if for not all that James was saying, verse 26 says it all. For just as the human body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works of obedience is also dead. Amen. So beloved, listen, we must live holy and clean and righteous lives. And that's just it. So all of the goats pretending to be sheep, they need to have several seats because if they don't repent, they won't make it into the kingdom of God. And neither will we. Neither will we listen, we must be producing good works because, because of that, we know the works in it of themselves does not save us, but it is evidence and it brings glory to the father. Don't you want to bring glory to the father, huh? By your obedience, Do you not know he sees all and knows all and everything we do is being written in the books, being kept in heaven for unreserved for judgment day? Huh? Are you not reading the scriptures? Cause you threw me at least 10 to 15 scriptures. Ain't none of them talked about revelation 20 verse 12 about the books I didn't see Revelation 20, 15, nowhere on the scene. I surely didn't see this. I saw nothing about Abraham demonstrating his faith that was backed up by the action he took that proved just how much faith he had in the living God who told him, you're going to have a son and you will have many descendants as there are stars because you can't count them and you can't count the grains of sand, well, that's how many descendants you're going to have. But if he's telling me to kill my one and only child of promise, well, he must going to raise him back up because that's just how much faith I have. I'm going to kill him. I I love Isaac, but I will kill him. God God is going to have to do something. He's either going to stop, this from happening or he's going to raise him from the dead either way i trust god let me drag out the dagger and just about to kill him the angel says no stop it stop it we see what's happening we see what's happening we see it that's right abraham we see it so there we have it beloved no we cannot live however we want. And then, and then pull on Paul. Oh wretched man. And oh my goodness. Here we go. First John 1, nine, Such wonderful precious promises. Of grace and forgiveness and love. In the shed blood of Jesus. That these. Can't even. I'm going to say what it is. Children of the devil. Because that's who you are. Make those precious promises as license to sin. making a mockery of the cross. Y'all better repent. You better repent. So there we have it, beloved. Father, in the name of Jesus. How wonderful is it that we have John chapter 15. John chapter 15 speaks of producing fruit. This is something we are commanded to do. So I don't know why people would even think all we got to do is just believe on Jesus, continue to live how we once lived and just sit back and wait until the day of glory. That's why Jesus says that many are on the broad way. And only few will find the narrow path. The narrow path, it is straight and it is hard. And few find that, but many are on the wide road, going back to perdition. John 15. Jesus says, says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that continues to bear fruit, he repeatedly prunes so that it will bear more fruit, even richer and finer fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have given you, the teachings which I have discussed with you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Just as no branch can bear fruit by itself without remaining in the vine, neither can you bear fruit, producing evidence of your faith. Unless you remain in me. Amen. So Father. The Lord Jesus Christ and James. Are not confused. About faith and good works. Jesus is telling us. That bearing fruit. It produces evidence. Of our faith. Verse 5. He says. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For otherwise, apart from me, that is cut off from vital union with me, you can do nothing. Amen. So, Father, we see the one who remains in Jesus and him in that person, they bear much fruit. So that's telling by itself, Father, if one is not bearing good fruit, then Jesus is not in that person. Because he said, apart from him, we cannot bear good fruit. Amen. Verse 6, if anyone does not remain in me. He is thrown out like a broken-off branch and withers and dies and they gather such branches and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you that is if we are vitally united and my message lives in your heart acts whatever you wish And it will be done for you. My father. Verse 8. Is glorified. And honored by this. When you bear much fruit. And prove yourselves. To be my true disciples. Amen. I have loved you. Just as the father has loved me. Remain in my love. And do not doubt my love for you. Verse 10. Father, if you keep my commandments and obey my teaching, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy, verse 11, and delight may be in you, and that your joy may be may be made full and complete and overflowing. Amen. There we have it, Father. Those who do not understand this is because they don't want to understand. They love to go to all of your precious promises of grace, of love, and forgiveness. They believe that you are so loving that Everybody gets to go to heaven at the end of the day. You know this, Father. You know this. That's why we are repeatedly warned in your word to not go back to the life we once lived before coming to Christ. Without having Holy Spirit guiding and teaching and leading us. You tell us we will be worse off than before. It would be better if we had never known the way to righteousness than to have known it and reject the command we were given to live holy lives. Well, we prove the truth of the proverb. Mm -hmm. A dog returns back to his vomit and that a washed pig returns back to the mud. Father, may your children be not deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Father, we repent for all of our wrongs, our wrongdoings. Help us, show us, guide us the way to go. May we put away all evil, and sit at the feet of Jesus, and learn. From Holy Spirit. I ask you these things, Father. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. Glory be to God. All right, beloved. Well, there we have it. Another one in the can. Repent and believe. Stop sinning and turn back to God. Lord willing. Until next time, I shall be speaking to you all soon. Bye for now. Thank you guys for tuning in. I truly appreciate all your support. Until next time, I'll be talking to y'all soon. Bye.